Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, number 400th episode. 400. That means, I was telling Olo beforehand, I think that means we've had uh, 400 episodes means at least... Probably around ten bottles of bourbon. Ten, uh, ten. around. I think it's be a lot more. Three hundred <laughs> hours of banter and at least forty minutes of forty minutes of content. content. I'm going to say four hundred minutes at least. At least one. Four hundred minutes of banter. Four hundred minutes yeah. of banter. Okay. No, four thousand minutes. Yeah, of banter. I was going to say four thousand. Right? Oh, you average ten minutes of banter. I would say. I'd say fifteen. I'd average at fifteen. Man alive! What a waste of the last ten years. Podcast four thousand minutes of banter. Podcast number one had what, maybe 30 seconds of banter? It was terrible. Seven minutes long. In <laughs> I don't some... remember it. That was Stylites? Stylites. Usterman's yeah. still Stylites. upset about that one. Usterman needs to get over it. <laughs> so here we are. We got the, the dream team back together, all four. Father Mike, oh, yeah. Father Nathan, Father Olo, myself, Father John. And Feels we're down good, the man. It's good to be back. Summertime. How long Johnny's it? back. We've been, uh, what was it, um, Christmas? We were together? All four of us? Yeah, we did... We did. Uh, Sounds right. Uh, what what was the summer conference? No, no, yeah, summer conference. Summer I guess. conference. That was summer conference. together, but you guys were Christmas. there for Seek. You did Seek stuff, right? Yeah, we missed you for the Seek though. But you had a much more beautiful fourth, I think, with Leah Darrow. We did. She kind of <laughs> yeah. upped the ante a little I, bit. I'm trying. My sister gave me this great summer haircut. Marsha yeah. Rap, shout out! Thanks for the fresh haircut. Feels good. Looking yeah. fresh. He shaved too. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, are That's you missing right. the stash? No you know? more goat Because like, you're eating no cheeseburgers, stash. do you just kind of miss that little rub on the... The flavor you know? saver? It yeah. is weird, the flavor saver. You would actually kind of look cool with the flavor saver, like a big fatty. <laughs> just like some chunks in there? <laughs> no, 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 just the hair under the Oh, lip. I see what you're saying. No, I had that, Right? Yeah. Isn't that a flavor saver? No, you know what? Flavor saver is just beard. I don't like to mustache. respond to everybody's, like, uh, critiques, but in the end... It does influence me, and nobody likes the mustache. I like what it is. I like I think the mustache. What are you talking about? I think everybody I'm, likes the stash. I think I'm too old for it. These hipsters are all in their 20s. Hipsters have hipsters mustaches. Hipsters have mustaches. And they're in their 20s. I'm too old for it. Yeah, that's true. You get an old man. Yep. Old. Um, so the first episode was on stylites. Do you remember what the 100th episode was about? Ooh, no. We could probably dig it up, though. Just keep talking. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say... Something on liturgy. By then we were ordained, so then we're in the parishes, we're trying to figure stuff out. Something on confessions. What was that, two, two and a half years after you started? I mean, I don't know. If we, break, if we break 10 years into 400 episodes, then it'd be... A, that sounds right, Two Matt and a half guy. years after. I think we missed the 100th episode. I was probably episode. gone. I think we blew right through it. Oh, I, don't yeah. even think we, I don't even think we, we mentioned anything on it. Was 400, 400th episode... But you guys, we've been going for 10 years, uh-huh. um, so that's 52 episodes a year, approximately. We took about a nine-month hiatus. Yep. Um, okay. So, yeah, interesting. Okay, we're looking I'm at... I'm still sipping my coffee. I'm not doing No, no, no. We're nine years I'm old, not, not 10 years math. old. You can get we're your We're 10 in January. We're 10 in January, so we're, in, we're only nine and a half. Should we not have worked this out before we started? <laughs> so it's not... That's true. No, if you think about it, if you think about it, it's like we're on the 400th episode. We're on the 400th episode. We're only nine and a half years in. 
So technically, we should only be on the hook for about 480 episodes. We took a nine-month hiatus, and we did, um, what's it called? Um, We missed a few. Yeah. All right, so um, number 100. Number 100. Episode 100 was distributism. Wow. And that was on August 18th, 2012. So just shy of seven years ago. Uh Uh-huh. But number 101 was one of your favorites. Na, 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 na. Batman, Batman. Quiz oh show. man, that was oh, a great Bat- one. Batman was Batman. good. I tell, I still tell people to w- listen to that episode. Hidden okay. Vocation okay. was ninety nine. So we're talking about this is like Andrea Sinit. This is like the beginning of consecrated. Oh yeah, lay vocations. We're starting yeah. to kind of talk about that. Basilica was number ninety eight. I think that was gold on the ceiling. We were yeah, Basileo, Basileo Theos. I like yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's. I the, think uh, I was listening to these because I must have been. In that the was bag. in Boulder. Yep, that was the Boulder days. So, uh-huh. so that uh, throws you back. All right, Let's what was 200? I'll, I'll look at it. 200. Here. Let's see here. This is turned into a quiz show. Two, quiz 200, quiz show, 200, quiz 200 show. we, we show, were... Alas. 200, we actually knew it was then. I remember we wanted to make it special. 200. Number 200 came out on the 20th of August, 2015. All right, so we're consistent. Three uh-huh. years. Okay. You know? Circular Movement of Love. I don't even know what that is. Did we do that? Was that a different podcast? Did, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Did we change the name? Control Alt Delete was two, number two hundred one. Yeah, so I was I was on there by then. Yeah, okay. you. Were, yeah. Well, that would Enter, have been that I was think control, okay. So that's when I left. That was this. I was gone. You guys had just started. Okay. So because you came on in July that's, of twenty fifteen. I'm in Rome by now. I remember You're that. In Rome. You're in Rome. I'm in Rome. It must have been you two. So Goble and I every time. What the hell was the circular movement of love? That was the Goebbels. I remember that. I, remember what it was about I sometimes just have these like inspiration, <laughs> the inspirations, inspiration, and then I just excellent. I just have to do the podcast on it. The Daimon, you have to listen to it. I don't remember. All right, and what was number three hundred in August of twenty seventeen? Two Sparta. years ago. Da-na-na-na. Oh gosh, was that the last that was time you a, lost a, a bet? Baby. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> that was bad. Scenes from an Italian wedding or restaurant. Scenes from an Italian restaurant or what is it? Five celibates try to talk to a girl. Worst podcast ever. No way, man. We got a lot of compliments on that. Yeah, that one. I've heard has been. We've been mocked for two years for that one. Well, that too. Poor Becca. It was Clockman. He put it over the top, though. Yeah. I bet against Father John, but I'm back on the board, folks. I did win a bet last week. Huge. Um, Barks. Barks? Yeah, here. (laughs) Viewers at home, here you go. You can participate in the bet. True or false? Barks root beer has caffeine in it. True or false? Barks root beer has caffeine in it. If you if you bet against Barks having caffeine, uh, you would be on uh, an opposing side. I said Barks has caffeine. Wait, you're not going to name names. So are you going to bet against? Barks has bite. Barks has bite. You bet against Greg Peterson. Greg Peterson and And Father Brady Wagner bet against Jason Wunsch, who who went with me. And as it turns out, Barks does have caffeine. It does. And now now you owe 12 donuts. You better be 120% confident if you're going to bet against Goble, which I was that night. He was. He was. And I was very tipsy. I got to be very honest. I was very tipsy. Now you're talking about a different night. You're talking about Billy Joel two years yeah, ago. That was Becca's than, final. 
This isn't the bark says bite. No. No. I'm talking about when John bet against me. He told me two years ago, he said, Billy Joel does not have a song called Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. And I said, I'm taking this bet right now. And I'm taking you for I remember this. Why I remember this. I wish I could forget some of these John things. doesn't he but doesn't remember lyrics John, he doesn't remember John, anything but for some John's reason he knows this song Carol always had them listening to My Billy Joel he song. knows Billy Joel greatest hits it was a double album I didn't know it and that was his favorite song so you just you stepped on a landmine I'm sorry yeah but I think I've lost every other bet I've ever taken against you so it's true and people know like if you come at me you better be sure right no so. I don't bet that way against you I'll do contests I'll ride the bull I'll yeah, you did. He did but ride I'm not going to do bets because you have this weird mind that remembers us things. Yep. Yeah. It's like LeJoie with dates. Don't even, you know, he can tell you the last time he had a cheese toasty, yeah. you know, down to, the, down to the hour. So anyways, but thanks for listening, everyone. We're on our 400th yeah, episode. 400. We do actually want to get to the topic now. We made it to 400. I can't believe it. Made it to 400. 4,000 minutes of banter. I'm still getting over that one. I'd like to know how many how many minutes of airtime we've had, you know, like if you calculated all of average the average podcast length. Right, but then I mean you'd have to total all of them and then they'll be able to say this is how much uh air like airtime is in the ether right now. Right, this is why when people come to St. Joan of Arc, they feel like they know you because they've listened to you talk for literally hundreds of thousands of minutes. <laughs> Think about that. True. Scary. And you're going to be accountable for every word well, in no, purgatory. No, don't put it that way. That's what scares me. <laughs> that does That's scare me. That's terrifying. <laughs> I hope it's been a gift to everybody. People are good to us. We've heard a lot of graces over the years, and I yeah. think it's been worthwhile anyway. It's certainly been fun for us. We love I mean, it. We love it. I know we need to get to the topic, but do you guys have real quick like an obvious favorite? Ooh. Favorite podcast? Favorite episode. Uh, mine's a tie. Okay. It, Batman? I really do because Batman was like I was seeing the form and Batman is a way to hook in people who aren't Catholic uh, to this podcast. And then once they listen to Batman, they want to listen to some more and then it just rolls from there. And then the other one is um, the consecrated life. Mm. What do we call that one? Where we talked about Patrick J. Carter. Celebrazio, oh my god! Yeah, celebrazio, celebrazio. Like yeah. to this day, that was that was an out of body experience. <laughs> it was. For all it was so proud. And if you that, listen, if you listen, that, to that, remember how that day started too? It was bad. We were fighting beforehand. Uh, yeah, on car, Chipotle, right? On yep. Chipotle. Uh, and so, yeah, this is the the secret of grace. So, okay, Mike, favorite? Well, I don't know. I don't like favorites, you know. <laughs> You don't like questions. No. I like... Um, Who's the, which is the worst podcast that you'd actually <laughs> yeah. say is the best? Yeah. The Pull worst, for the underdog. Well, I don't... I do enjoy the... I do enjoy the quiz shows because oh, they man. make people cringe and it's... I don't know. It's a, fu- it's a fun contest. I, I liked doing um, Moon Landing with Mary. Mm. That's one of my that favorites that one. I did because it was just wild time and it's... Uh, creative and that the kind crazy. of stuff that I like. <laughs> guys were so hammered. No, 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 well, no, 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 no. Hammered no. and jet lagged. En route and, hey, come and on uh, brilliant. Brilliant. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually listening to that podcast next to your that house was the night we fell asleep. I think recorded. <laughs> I just like <laughs> Mike's head hit the table. I think I hit like my head landed into the space bar and it shut the thing off and yeah. we woke up the next morning. <laughs> It's like you just throw up your hands because it's like, 
why did why do we choose to do this at the end of the week? We right. would do it at Friday nights at like nine or ten o'clock at and night. And it would just make me laugh. We, like we were so is, wrecked. Oh, yeah. That's but a good it's, one. It's That's good a good memories. memory. I mean, it's like memories of yeah of playing cribbage in Rome, and I don't know. I I'll have to think about favorite. John. My favorites were all the ones I did with Austin Litke. Oh, just joking. Oh. Wow. I know. I had to back wow. him up from last week. We were talking about him because everybody needs a pet Dominican now, apparently. <laughs> so We've no. got a board meeting coming up. Maybe we can fire you, you and you could start a podcast with, with him. Austin <laughs> I think uh, my favorites are, my favorite memories are kind of the moments when we were either bringing a new guy in or saying goodbye. Yeah, all the transitions. So I remember your first one was discernment of spirits. That was a long time ago, mm-hmm. and it was really funny. That's a really good one. Um, I remember your first one, which was my last one. Mm-hmm. I remember when you went to Rome and we said goodbye to you. I forget what the topic was on that one though. I don't remember most of these. Becca's as bad as I wasn't as that there. Was. Most of them. Yeah, but it's just like the transition moments. You know, yeah, we're kind of yeah, where life is profound. either kind of we're going into a new chapter, or a guy we're saying goodbye, or bringing somebody back. Those are always kind of, I think, the favorite. The hardest one, but one of, the, I think, the most important ones we did was the, the truth. When yeah. we took that hiatus and we decided, we were like, we can either just pretend like everything's fine and, you know, our friend Joe Doman is just gone, or we can actually talk about what yeah, happened. Yeah, that and, was big. And that was hard. That was hard for us. That was hard for a lot of people to hear. Um, but I think it was it was an important moment, I think. Yeah. Because what we decided was, I think, through that nine-month hiatus, we knew... This is not some kind of professional operation that kind of just gives kind of catechetical information, but it's actually, this is a messy family. We're sharing a life, and you're going to, that's what this is. Uh, it's you, very just, real. It's very real, and uh, but it's very hard, um, and that was a hard point for us. But I think uh, that certainly is a great memory. And then, of course, just the most fun ever was Celebratio. Yeah. Celebratio, Celebratio. That was just... Literally absurd. Did we keep the cue the patriotic music? Do we still have patriotic music? Yes, on that there stayed since we got sued. It did. Okay, that's worthy of a lawsuit. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, that was great. <laughs> if we had to take that out, that'd have been horrible. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll say it this. Uh, I I love aspects of the show. So not at episodes, but I loved seasons when I was like out in Craig and then out in Rome when I started listening to the to the podcast to hear the voices of my friends. Yeah, that was great, and and then um, also a lot of memorable um, encounters with fans, like meeting people. Oh like yeah, Patrick yep. J. Carter in Rome. I mean, yeah. that Mom's came to gone. mind. Patrick came to the parish, came to Saint Joan of Arc, and I was just like, "Holy cow, this is <laughs> this is amazing!" Yep. And then we met him at Abruzzi for lunch. Yeah. In Rome. Well, it's just fun. I I've had a lot of fun meeting people. Yeah. All right, Olaf. How about you? Um, I think my, the one I've gotten the most feedback for, I, which I guess makes me the most proud of it, is, is my podcast on forgiveness. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, that was great. But I, I, lo- I liked the vocation story ones. I liked yeah. when all four of us were yeah. together. I mean, those ones were a lot of fun, just because it was all four of us. Um, I, uh, yeah, actually, your vocation story, Father John, was your last one until right, you went to Rome, right? right? right. Yeah. What a long, strange trip it's been. It has, indeed. Stranger these last few years. Well, we have a we have a great topic that all four of us are really passionate about, but it was Goebbels' idea, so we should let you uh, make the introduction. Well, for me, like, uh, when we were thinking about how did the podcast, podcast come about, like, what is the fruit of the podcast, like, thinking about all of these things, 
the name that just kept coming to mind was uh, Archbishop Charles Chaput. And uh, the reason behind that is all of us have a particular uh, interaction with him and uh, uh, sort of uh, contribution that he's uniquely given to our lives or our vocations that um, he's coming to the end of his time as bishop. Um, and uh, at 75, 73, you have to ask for retirement. And uh, I was like, you know, out of all the things, you know, 400 episodes later, I was like, we probably need to look back and uh, say thank you to someone who's behind a lot of this, but maybe hasn't received sufficient credit. And that's who I, that's immediately who I thought of was Archbishop Shapu. He was the bishop at the time when you guys were in seminary. He ordained both of you. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my spiritual director before I entered seminary. Um, and uh, I'll get to that. And then for Olo, he uh, yeah, gave him cigars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't heard of if you haven't heard of Archbishop Charles Shepu, Archbishop of Philadelphia, who's turning seventy five uh, in end of September, September twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty sixth, Damien. Cosmos, Cosmos and Damien. That's National Chapu Day. We're going to name it. Yeah, <laughs> nice. someday. So he turned seventy-five. Bishops are required to uh, submit a resignation at seventy-five. Um, but we love him, and he is a massive, massive uh, influence in our life because of his time as Bishop of Denver from ni- I believe nineteen ninety-six, something like that, until two thousand eleven. Yeah, and oh, nice uh, timeline. So he was a. Uh, he was the man. There would be no podcasts, no companions, and probably no vocations in this room were it not for his influence. Mm-hmm. I think we could say yeah. that. And so uh, yeah. as we approach his uh, 75th, Goble had the great idea to say, hey, let's do it on Shapu, and let's, uh, let's share some, some great memories and talk about uh, a, a really heroic man that uh, in some ways has been deeply respected and appreciated and in some ways has been deeply rejected and, and suffered within the church for uh, who he is and uh, the man of character that he is. So, mm-hmm. Who wants to start? Well, how do you start? I think we have to go in order of who's known him the longest. You know, like wh- what was one of your first memories of him or like what's the, what's the defining moment for your... Uh, for your time with him, I'm 2001. I'm what about 2001, you? probably right. or 2000 Go, or 2000. You might be earlier. So I met Archbishop Chapu when I had um, been surprised by a sense of a call to priesthood, and um, went to like track down a vocations director because I thought that was kind of how you pursue priesthood. I didn't know really, and. They, uh, Archbishop Chapu was in the habit at the time of meeting with every prospective seminarian. And so I met with him for breakfast, uh, I think a couple of times, but really I remember one specifically. And um, that was one of, the, one of the things I'd like to honor him for. But are we mentioning, mentioning like memories first or just do I jump in? Oh, yeah. I mean, make it whatever you want. We don't really have a... All right. Well, a I'll program just, I'll just for this. Have my say, right? And then we can all uh, kind of share and discuss. We want to honor him for. for I do want to. So. Yeah, I want to honor him. Um, immediately, Archbishop Chapu treated me with respect and uh, communicated to me a certain dignity as a Christian. Um, I. It was kind of a surprise for me talking to this older guy who was. Um, in a very um, important position. Um, 
in a way that was different than other people talked to me, like older older people. It, it often seemed like kind of condescending or, okay, yes, young man, I'll go, you know, we encourage you. But he just spoke, um, we had a, a um, discussion just about like life, what is your life, getting to know each other, and then um, what is the church, you know, what does it mean to be Christian, and then what is... What are you what are you sensing with this vocation stuff? And I felt just very comfortable with him very very quickly. And as a young man, that was kind of surprising, but very encouraging to me. Um, and that's one of the first one of the first things I want to um, honor him for is a way of relating personally that dignifies people and is um, so um, just real. Comfortable. He treats people with respect, and I felt treated with respect. And even surprisingly, how personal and friendly he is. Um, years, years, years later in Rome, he would still um, visit. You know, Johnny and I were in in studies, or I was over there, and he'd get in touch and have lunch. Um, it's like you know thousands of people. You're probably there very busy with important things to do. And it mattered to him. People mattered to him. Um, and he was very good about that. Um, throughout the time that I kind of watched him as leader, he, was, he would remember people's names, details of their lives, because yeah. he paid attention. He really cares about people. And you felt dignified by that. I think a lot of people shared that experience. So... Um, so that's the that's one like personally, um, I think I ultimately I was trying to express like what I want to honor him for is a courage to um, maintain hope. Uh, hope comes from God. That's a theological gift, you know. This this profound hope that says tomorrow is going to be better than today. The future belongs to God, and. Um, and Shapu had lots of reasons throughout the, his time um, as a as a priest, as a bishop. You know, a long life as a Christian. He's a lifer. I know he, or I think he started in junior high. I mean, um, with minor seminary, no. and that's a lot of experience of things that are both great and then are a lot of difficulties in the church. So, um, for someone to say, I'm I still believe. I still believe that the future belongs to God and that things are, things are going to be better. Um, I really admired that about him, and he would do that in various ways, but two in particular. One is his, um, his support of the Companions of Christ. For me, that was big because he had lived in community. He came from a Franciscan community, and most, and, and you could tell by the time that he was our bishop, and or at least when we were late in seminary, starting the Companions, that he had lived an in independent life for a while, and that he was good at that, and that he was pro like inclined toward that as mm -hmm. a person. Um, most of the people that we talked to about starting Companions who had been in community life and experienced the difficulties, the challenges, the joys, were rather down on community life. And we're, would often say, no, you guys want to be independent. Like, get together and be friends, but you don't want to live together because it's way too dramatic, too complicated. It's difficult. It's not what you think. Yeah. You don't know. And uh, Archbishop Shapu 
just encouraged us um, because he saw a greater good. And I think he has hope. He has hope for things like communal life and the dreams that people have. And he really supported a lot of creativity in the church. Um, And then finally, just a general way of his leadership and regard for the church in these later years, uh, kind of watching him, I've seen a lot of hard work and perseverance where I think a lot of people could grow cynical and just say, this is, this is so difficult, the church is so wild, um, I'm not being always like encouraged, there's not a lot of reward in that hard work, um, people are critical, maybe the direction of the church seems like kind of wandering, and he is a leader, so he wants to, you know, to lead. But he, he really perseveres. He gives himself so generously because he has hope, um, because he knows that the church belongs to God and that it's headed in the right direction. Mm. It's just headed in, it's, it's under the will of providence, you know. So thank you for that courage. Thank you for the actions that, um, that show that, perseverance in um, in the grace of hope and have given has given me a lot of encouragement and um, a lot of hope myself great you didn't mention how uh shep you inspired you to your deep love of email mm-hmm. yeah well he's his witness stands as a challenge mm-hmm. he would get back to everybody within a few hours middle of the night you get a response from shep i don't know how this works i think it it's kind of suspect. Um, he might have an, a guardian angel responding to these things, but if you have a trick like that, you just let me know. Yeah. Do you guys I, remember the movie Do That Thing You Do? Did you ever see that movie? Yes. It was like a movie about do Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I saw no. that with Archbishop Shapu my senior year in high school. Terrible movie. It wasn't That's your that. favorite memory? Yeah, no. <laughs> Okay. The reason I say that is because of two things. Number one, is it a musical? No. Every time you do that thing, you do. It was like a Tom Hanks. uh, Oh, barf. Yeah, we saw that movie, but two memories from it. Number one is he genuflected when he went into the movie theater. He used to do that a lot. Do you remember that? Yeah. As a joke? No, he just naturally (laughs) genuflects. You're going into a row of seats. Yeah, as he went into the row. (laughs) So funny. Uh, but the second thing was, uh, I remember telling my grandmother, I was like, yeah, I played racquetball and went and saw a movie with the archbishop. And she's like, you did what? And I was like, yeah. And now I had been Catholic for about three months at this point, like practicing my faith. This is my senior year in high school. And, um, but we grew up in a time, like Mike was saying, where it's just like, this is just how bishops are. They just, yeah, you, you hang out normal. with them. Like, yeah, totally normal. They just, they're just really interested in knowing who you are and, right. and supporting you. And it's just like. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized why my grandmother was so shocked because it's like that never happens. Bishops yes. are in the ivory tower kind of doing their thing, whatever. Um, oh, there's a lot of dioceses where bishops don't know their seminaries' names. You know, They don't meet them until right before. And it's not to judge them because it's, an, it's a basically an impossible task right now uh, to be a bishop. But he was amazing, and he really loved us. And I remember... Uh, the way that he uh, like genuinely cared, Mike. This is kind of echoing what you were saying. Like he just, he just genuinely cared what we thought about things. As yeah. like eighteen year old punks who didn't know Jack, like right. he just thought, "What do you think about the church? What do you think about this? How do you see this?" And it was just like this is unbelievable. And my life kind of aligned on two different 
if I was going to say like a constellation, there was two different stars that kind of pointed that I started to follow at age 18. And it was John Paul II was kind of the long, bright star in the distance. But the more immediate one that helped kind of orient my life was Charles Shapu. And I always saw them as a pair. And this is 1998, mm. so John Paul's still alive. Uh, Ratzinger's, you know, not yet to be Pope. Um, and those two for me were like, there is the possibility of a heroic life in the church as a priest, and it's absolutely the most inspiring thing possible. And I remember thinking, this is it. Why would I do anything else? Yeah. And they were a huge part of the reason I went to seminary. And Mike and I laugh now. It's like, I don't know if they would accept us nowadays. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Maybe they, they were desperate at the time. Exactly. But um, but that was uh, that was an unbelievable moment. And the, the kind of the Shapu glory days in Denver, and you guys will talk more about this because I think this ties more directly into your, your time uh, I think kind of early 2000s, you know, maybe 2001 to 2007 or 8. That was kind of the, that was the summit of the Chapu kind of, because uh, he was so beloved. Uh, he had the 6.30 p.m. Uh, cathedral mass, yep. which was like the spot to be. That was, if you're Catholic in Denver, yep. that's where you want to be, right? Yep. That was that was it. And you were definitely there all the time hanging yeah. out. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, I just have great memories of... Uh, of yeah, his preaching, of his presence, he would always greet everybody afterwards. And and the two things that come to mind, if I was going to honor him for uh, for it, is number one, John Henry Newman has this interesting line where he talks about how sobriety is the hallmark of a true Christian. Um, that you don't end up kind of in this over spiritualizing, kind of lofty, mm. inhuman, wow. angelic thing. Uh-huh. But the the truly Christian man is actually remarkably sober. And it's the kind of sobriety that disarms, that makes you feel safe, um, that is humble, is very approachable, but also very kind of sober, concrete, uh, practical. Yeah. Um, he just, he was just like when we started the Companions. Remember that? Yeah. We were like, we got this idea. And he's like, where are you going to get a priest? And we're like, uh, where are you going to get a house? We're like, uh, and he's like, we should probably why don't do you guys things. go think about that and then come back to me? And we're like, oh, we blew it. <laughs> <laughs> you remember? But that's so, right. I think I, I was thinking about temperance on the way on the drive over because it's just like the the right balance of things because it, it's it's easy to go to the extreme of saying I am so careful that I won't allow new ideas, yeah. right? You know, <clears throat> uh, even big vision for the church. Or on the other hand to say oh, I just I live in those clouds and you can't get anything done. And he really was like, well, you want to do something? Do it. But yeah. what are you going to do? You know, get your plan. Mm-hmm. Go How ahead are you going to do, do it? it? Yeah. And he never let. I remember this. He never let you say. You know what we should do as a church? Somebody should do this. Right. He would say, "Well, do it. Go do it." Yep. Yeah, I think he. Uh, yeah. So he was remarkably sober, and, and I mean that in in a kind of a very deep and and significant way, in a way that I don't see a lot of um, leaders in the church. Just like a profound kind of common sense, like he just was a man of true common sense, and it was the kind of thing that I think, for those of us who are more idealistic or ideas, he just, he helped kind of give us the grounds. Yeah. And the other thing is he just trusted the right people. If he, if he, he had a, he was a good read of character, that's why he liked all of us. Wink. Uh-huh. No, he, uh, when we watched the diocese, people like Curtis Martin or Tim Gray, they would come with ideas. Uh, he just trusted, or even in the seminary, he trusted the right people. Anthony yeah. Lillis. Ray Garonsky, he met Garonsky, and he said, I'm rebuilding the church in Denver, and I want you to be a part of it. I mean, he just knew 
this guy's gold. And yeah, uh, the faculty at the seminaries pretty much because he personally invited them. Right, exactly. So anyways, I'll, I have more thoughts, but I'll cut it there so we can kind of continue. So that's 2001. So I came in 2005. Probably ordained. same for you, huh? No? Later? Mm-hmm. So you were later. Okay. So I, But actually, my first experience of him was in 1999. I was pre-theology at Steubenville, and he he came there to give one of the Thursday night talks. We used to have these Thursday night vocations talks, and um, that was honestly where I discerned celibacy was because of those talks. Every single one of them was great, and like making a bunch of college guys talk think about celibacy at least once a week was so incredibly helpful because in all honesty seminary did not have that so i don't know guys that did not have this doomville experience i don't know how they could have done it but he came and gave a talk on a thursday night and it was on vocations it was on celibacy it was on all the right things for us to hear but even beyond the topic there was just something about two talks at the three years i was there there's two talks i remember one is him of course and then the other one is uh boy coon who was the commissioner of baseball in the 70s and this guy came, mm. like, baseball guy, right? Commissioner of baseball. He comes in and he says, like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I got invited to come here. I don't, I, like, I don't have a vocation to the priesthood, but I'm a Catholic guy. And he gave an amazingly beautiful talk on, like, lay people's experience of the priesthood and what they want to see. It was absolutely incredible. I still remember it vividly. Um, all, just, especially because he was so humble. I mean, a man mm. like that, that, that was so powerful, so well-known for so long, was so humble. And Chepu, of course, had the, kind of the same thing. Um, but when I came in, moved to Denver in 2005, got sent here, and then I uh, didn't know anybody, didn't know Denver was even really had any sort of Catholic community whatsoever. All my friends were baristas um, because it was just the people who I met. And Some one, things don't change. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one of those baristas was Gary Pearsall, and he was he was working at Starbucks, and I went to a show he opened for a friend of mine. Um, Gary Pearsall was in a band? Gary Pearsall had a band. Come on. <laughs> what happened on and, Saturday? And the, and the What Happened Saturday band, yeah. And anyway, so I met him, and then he recognized me. I walked into Starbucks, and he re- I recognized him from the playing, and I, he recognized me from the being the one priest in the audience. And he had just been chrismated, been com- confirmed like two weeks before that. And I was like, oh, man, where are the Catholics in this town? Like, I, I have no idea. And he's like, you got to go to the 6.30 p.m. on a, on Saturday night, right. Sunday night. Um, Archbishop's there, mm. and, and uh, it was right around that time when uh, – I was looking to get biritual faculties um, just to be able to, you know, marry my Roman friends and things like that. And so I was like, well, I, I went there first just to meet other Catholics in Denver and, um, and I would celebrate with him and then I'd start celebrating with him on every single Sunday night and I would go there and right. I'd hang out with the young adults afterwards. Mm-hmm. So then I went to confession to him once cause he would sit in the confessional before that mass and yeah. anybody who wanted to go to confession would. And then after about maybe three confessions that were just mind blowing, I said, you know, I need a spiritual director. Like, I have a Byzantine spiritual father, but he lives on the other side of the country. I need someone to meet with regularly. And I was very impressed because normally I think somebody like that would say, well, if you already have a spiritual father, what are you asking me? You know, like, go to him. But I said, I need somebody local. And so he said, sure. And so he was my spiritual father from that day, spiritual director from that day until he left for Philadelphia. And um, it was absolutely incredible. I learned how to say mass from him because he's the one I would observe up on the altar. Um... I, I got to listen to his homilies every time. Then when we started doing spiritual direction, um, I left absolutely on fire. I mean, I would I would walk home. He lived a block and a half from me. And I'd walk home after every single spiritual direction, wanting to change the world, thinking I could. But it was more because, this sounds corny, but I wanted to, like, I knew what I needed to change about myself. And I knew if that happened, how powerful it could be. 
like every single time leaving and then that block and a half walk. And I remember thinking, man, alive, I, I need to do this more often. I, I need to talk to this man more often. And part of it was because he was so incredibly confident. I mean, he, he with a good confidence. It, it was it was like a, a good pride with a good confidence. Mm. And uh, one thing I was just thinking about that, that that was manifest was when he moved to Philadelphia and he was living in the old Archbishop's old Cardinal's mansion, had a big fence around it, and he was so longing to be among the poor. I mean, he's a Franciscan. He mm-hmm. was so and he, he was so separated from that in the living quarters that he had. And the people around him would try, try to protect him. I mean, we came back from dinner one night after visiting him, and they, they were kind of joking, like, what, did he take in McDonald's? Because he, he would just go to these simple places, and they were, like, mock, kind of mocking him for that. And I was like, oh, we went to California Pizza Kitchen. It was good. You know, it was like, but they were so used to the archbishop going out to these, the cardinal going out to these really, really nice places. And, um, and then I realized, you know, his ease with the poor came from that same confidence. Like he knew he loved the poor. He knew he gave to them. He knew he, he did what he needed to do for the poor. And he was able to accept generosity. He was very good. He taught me how to accept generosity too because he would accept it from people. But the way he loved the poor, I mean, he could say to a, he could say to a poor person, like, how, how, uh, how awkward are we when, when we encounter a poor person? Someone asking for help. I mean, there's just, I, I know nobody except maybe the CFRs who are completely confident and can say, I have nothing in my pocket, brother, but what can I do? Like, I cannot give you anything. I cannot give you what you're asking for, but what can I do? Like, I'm a, I'm a brother, I'm a priest. I, I have these graces that God has given me that I want to pass on to you. What mm. can I do? And, and, you know, he's not. He's an archbishop. He, he no longer, you know, wears the habit. He, he's now... It, it, king in Philadelphia, you know, but he, he knows he loves the poor. He knows he takes care of them. And so when he encounters a poor person, he can say, like, you know, I can't give you any cash, whatever, or he just gives them something, you know, it really depends on the moment, but I've never seen him awkward among the poor, which is beautiful. And, you know, there's something that, that does shine in that confidence. So I think those are the two things. There was just something about, he, he made me want to change to be better for the sake of my parish and my ministry. Um, but it was more changing me, but I knew that that could change greater things than me if I did that. And then the, the confidence he has in his leadership, in his episcopacy, he told me uh, recently that he still holds to kind of the youthful idea of what a bishop is. Like when, when you're young, what is a bishop? Like what do they, well, they, they teach, right? That's what bishop means. And they, they stand up to anybody I mean, watching John Paul II in front of Castro in Cuba, I still remember that moment. Like he's yeah. he's preaching against the evils of of Soviet communism, and 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 Castro's sitting in the front row. I was like, that is a bishop. And Chapu said the same thing. He's like, you don't, you're not yeah. intimidated by the world as a bishop. Yeah. But but when you're in those shoes, then you think. I mean, how many things did I think I'd be a better priest right now than I am? When I was a seminarian, I didn't think I'd be doing the the stupid things I am now as a priest. But he's still doing those things as a bishop, saying the 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 vision I had of the episcopacy when I was as a seminarian is what I'm living out now, and he's been doing it for that long. So oh, yeah. that you know that that's that's incredible. But the but then the story I've probably even told this on the podcast before. But the one that really like defines his confidence and his love for the poor was when I had been pretty much hiding the fact that I had a homeless couple living in my garage for two months, and I had met with him twice. I met with him once, and I did not tell him in spiritual direction that I had them there because I I knew I was doing something wrong. Like I wanted to help them, but I wasn't being. I wasn't really helping them. I wasn't calling them on. I was pretty much giving them a handout because I liked the idea of having homeless people live in my garage. I liked, I liked this couple. I mean, I, I liked them a lot. So I liked hanging out, but I knew I was doing something wrong. So I didn't share anything the first time. 
Second month I go, they had been there now two months, and I said to them at the very end of a spiritual direction, I said, and I need to share with you, I have a homeless couple, a young homeless couple. They both have jobs. They're working at a car wash. Um, you know, they're doing well, um, living in my garage. And he goes, which garage? And I said, the garage of my rector. He goes, so that's not your garage. That's the church's garage. I said, uh, yes, you're right. It belongs to the oh, church yeah. and not me. And he goes, what if they burned it down? What if they were in it? What if, you know, and I, I'm going, I, I, I don't know. It just, part of me says this is the right thing to do to help them out. He's like, well, Ian, how much have, have you encouraged them to grow? I'm like, oh, I'm trying, you know. And he's just, he's asking all the right questions because yep. he loves them, but he's also, you know, asking all the right questions because the garage does not belong to me. Yeah. And so finally he, he said, they need to be out. And I said, okay, I'll give them a week. And he said, no. He says, they could not spend another night there. He says, that's not yours, your charity to give. And they could hurt themselves and they could hurt the church. So I walked back with just being absolutely crestfallen. Like, how am I going to talk to this couple? I mean, she's helped me clean the house. He's doing the yard work. You know, we're having meals together. It was, it was really amazing in many ways. And I still think that could be done well. I still think so, absolutely. But the way I was doing it was not, obviously. So I walk all the way back to the house. As I walk into the backyard to go tell them, I was just like, I, I was kind of on that Shep high, you know, still about, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is obedience. And as I walked back there, um, the girl, Chris, came running out, and she just, like, jumped and gave me a big hug. And, like, she never did that. And she's like, we're so good, glad to see you. My sister's here from Portland, and she's moving us up there. Oh, yes. And, like, literally, there was a, there was a station wagon provident. pulled up to the Help. garage, and they were loading everything in. Wow. And I was able to exchange emails. I was able to say goodbye to them. I never had to tell them. And it was, it was so incredibly beautiful. I remember thinking, like, Lord, why do I ever not have faith? Why do I ever not trust? You know I mean, and Chaput just had such confidence in saying, like, you're, I, I was like, you're a Franciscan. You're supposed to say this is a good thing. I don't know. How, I had the cops called on me probably weekly by neighbors. Mm. And, and, and all the cops were like, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing you're doing. You know, keep it up. And, uh, but, but, he, but he obviously had this deeper wisdom that he was obviously loving of them. And uh, so I went back the next month and I told him the story. And, uh, and he, he got kind of, you know, very stoic, smiled and, and nodded. And I was like, don't tell me that you knew <laughs> that was going to happen. Like, don't tell me. Know. He's like, he's like I, I didn't know, but I'm not surprised, which he's told me a couple times now. Like, uh, but miraculous things that wow. he's kind of facilitated. I did not know that I was going to happen, but I'm not surprised. I was like, okay. So it was just this beautiful moment mm. of, of guidance and his love of the poor and his confidence and his appreciation of the church and the practical things like you guys you said know, earlier. You know, this came to mind when you were talking about his sort of perennial youth or um, kind of holding on to that, that young perspective. But I, and, and then just like this, describing his wisdom, I would like to see some of these figures in my life at 12 years old, you know, mm -hmm. or like, yeah. what were they like when they were, you know, young? And it's just impossible to think of them other than like, this mature adult, you know, like yeah. walking in a suit with a briefcase and, uh, and a pectoral cross and saying something, uh, brilliant and wise. Um, I kind of wonder just like who these people are when they're young, anything with like the spiritual father. My own father is like that too. I would say, Oh man, I would have liked to seen you. Mm -hmm. But in all honesty, I mean, he's so normal. Like he, he doesn't fit the normal kind of pedestal persona in, in just interactions with him. So, I tend to think I, that's a very interesting thought, Mikey. But like, I tend to think he would have been just a normal kid growing up in Kansas, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And he he just kept on living out that normalcy, but was so open to what our Lord was doing in his life. Yeah, and maybe I would think of that that normalcy is like there's a business person that some some people put up, put on like a persona. 
and I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm in work mode now and it's different than just like the informal hmm. person you meet. And there's just no difference with yeah. him. It was like, there's a consistency of, and he did one time apologize for making a mistake. I don't want to put him too high on a pedestal. Nah. <laughs> I have heard him one time say, you, you, we disagreed on something. And he, he finally said, you know, you're right. I was wrong. One time. One time. One time. <laughs> All right, Gobes, we better go to you. Yeah. So, time, um, right? so it's like, this has actually been very helpful because it, it does, the memories just kind of flood back. But um, uh, I, I didn't, that's not true. I met Bishop in 2006 at the Focus Conference when I came out to Colorado for the first time from University of Illinois um, as just a you know college student with my girlfriend, and I remember he said the Sunday Mass, and I was like, this dude has a lot of... <laughs> Potency. potency you know what i'm saying Testicle he has halls okay <laughs> he's got malls he's got yeah uh but i was like i was like this is this is a mensch this is a real mensch and i was i just remember thinking wow that was that was profound that was really it was really great and um and then i didn't think anything more of it uh, and then the next year i came out for focus conference again 2000 2000 and no, that was, excuse me, that was 2004. The next year was 2005. And then by then, I was a, I was a cheerleader uh, for uh, University of Illinois. Not an actual cheerleader, but uh, <laughs> they needed people to lead the fight songs at the Focus Conference. So uh, still dating the same girl. Um, and, uh, but again, I remember running into him or hearing him at the conference and just being like, uh, further? No, you're good right there. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Closer? That's good. <laughs> okay. Um, this is normally your side. I know. So that's why. Anyways, um, so then uh, just, again, just impacted by him and then eventually came to Colorado as a missionary, as a focused missionary. Full circle, this is now 2006. Um, 2006, I'd already been in Fargo with uh, Bishop Aquila, and then I was sent from Fargo to, to DU and mines. And I'd heard about the 630 mass and I was like, I got to go. There was a dude in like a really blinged out pimp suit next to him, uh, which I came to learn later was a Byzantine priest by the name of Father Michael O'Loughlin. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, just going to that mass was uh, life changing and uh, hearing him preach. I mean, to this day, I can't tell you anything that he preached about, but I would say the exact same feeling. When I left there, I was like, I'm going to freaking kick butt this week, and I'm going to bring the gospel to people. And I have the support of my local ordinary, which I hadn't had for a number of years. Um, As a kid growing up, the bishop was no one. Like, you didn't really know him. And when you did meet him, it was in these, you know, sacramental moments, and it wasn't terribly memorable. And then by that time, I'd already met with the other bishop of, of Springfield. And when I told him I wanted to be a priest, he was just like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just like, oh my gosh, buddy. And then Shap you, uh, I meet him, and I say, uh, I want you to be my spiritual director. Just walk right up to him. I'm like, he wants you to be my spiritual director. And he said, uh, why don't you email me? We'll talk about it. I remember agonizing over that email because I was like, it's got to be witty and cool and whatever. And then I sent it to him, and like within five minutes, I had a response. Meet in my office at this time. And I'm just like, ah! So then I go up, I meet with him, and he says, explain to me your story, tell him the whole thing. And then he said, great, I want you to go meet uh, Father Chris Hellstrom. I think he's going to be your spiritual director. Uh, If he says no, I'll say yes. That's the deal I'm going to make with you. So I said, great. So I go to Chris Hellstrom. And uh, Father Chris Hellstrom, and I say, uh, 
Archbishop Chap, you sent me to you. I'm supposed to be your, you know, directee. And he goes, well, let's pray about it for the next month. So then I pray about it for the next month. This is like September, October, now October, November. And then November rolls around and he goes, I forgot to pray about it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> come back in a month. So then uh, I come back in a month. It's now December. And uh, he says, the Holy Spirit is telling me I can't be your director. And I don't know why. And he's like, but I have to listen to that. And I go back to Chapu and he goes, okay, uh, I'm your director. He's like, let's talk. So uh, we start talking. By now, I remember I had a, I had a desk at uh, the house in Focus uh, over by DU, and I had put my application to seminary in that desk drawer, and I hadn't touched it since. I knew I was called to be a priest. I just didn't know where, uh, or I didn't know why I didn't feel peace about going home. And Shapu, which is what I want to honor him for, it's one of my favorite memories, he said, in direction, um, I want you to tell yourself for the next month you're not going home. And just uh, tell, your, tell yourself over and over, like, that's not going to happen, and see what you feel. <clears throat> and for the first time in my life, I was, like, joyful and free around the decision to be a priest, and I couldn't understand why, because it didn't make sense in light of, I would have to leave my home. Yeah. And then <clears throat> uh, he said, uh, like, after that month, I was like, I'm happy, I'm peaceful, I'm encouraged. He goes, those are all signs of the Spirit. You need to discern where God is calling you. Give me three places you think God could be calling you. And I said, Peoria, Fargo, and the Dominicans. And he said, why would you not want to go to Denver? And I said, gosh. I said, because you guys are the Yankees, and you get everybody good. And there's other places that are in need. And um, like, I, I, maybe I'm called there. And he says, you can't deny that God is doing a work here in the diocese. Um, and maybe God's calling you to be part of that. And I was like, okay, okay. I'll add Denver to the list. And uh, so we met again a month later. And uh, by then, my dad had told me, uh, don't go to Peoria. I called Fargo, and it just didn't seem right. Bishop Aquila called me and pursued me, and I was like, I am not going back to that freezing tundra. Uh, I met with a Dominican, and he said, uh, you don't have a Dominican vocation, Michael Carey. And, uh, and then I met with Shabu, and he, and he said, uh, said explain to me all these things. And I said, I mean, here's all the things that happen with these other places, is, and what about Denver? And I said, what about Denver? And just kind of playing coy. And he said, uh, we have a lot of good things going on. Focus, the biblical school, uh, endow. And within a year of uh, being uh, establishing, I think I'm called to Denver. Um, I couldn't explain it. My family was just like, this sounds like the work of the Holy Spirit. You got to do it. They knew about Shapu. They loved Shapu. Um, And within a year, that's when the letter about companions went up. So to me, it's like the work of providence to see him <clears throat> like do what he was just born to do, which was direct men and women, but especially men, uh, and free them from false selves and false uh, images of what could be or should be. He's a real leader. And I give thanks to God for him almost almost daily. Uh, because without him, I would never have had the courage to leave my home. 
And I never thought I would be fulfilled leaving home. And then, uh, and then I came to the seminary, Companions, Goronsky, um, and it's been good. Podcast. Yeah, well, we're definitely grateful. Cheers. Um, cheers. cheers. Cheers to Archbishop Charles Shepard. That's right. Cheers, cheers. Cheers. God bless him. You have to keep praying. If, if you end up hearing this, Archbishop, you have to keep praying that Nathan learns the lesson of censoring his humor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't know that he learned that. I mean, we're very grateful for his vocation. That's right. No, I, I, move, I really am. I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I'm moved. Uh, to tears at the at the presence of that man, who I believe one day uh, will have sired thousands of vocations uh, for the for the world. Yeah, yeah. married people, lay people, uh, consecrated people, priests. Yeah, so it's a life well lived, very good Christian yep. life. One of the reasons why I think we wanted to all do this topic was not just because of our gratitude for him, but because of the way he suffered, uh, not just. Uh, for the church, but in the church. Mm-hmm. There's a great line from Charles Jornet who says that, or um, who wrote Mystery of the Church, not Jornet, um, Dominican. Oh, I'm spacing his name. Yves uh, Clary Sack. Um, <laughs> oh, so close. Yeah, you were close. <laughs> but he said, uh, it's, it's nothing to suffer for the church. Uh, the true Christian is called to suffer in the church. And I think that Shep Hugh, in these last few years under this, yeah. this latest, latest pontificate, for whatever reason, those in leadership in the church, both in our country and in the world, have found him to be uh, ultra-conservative, have judged him harshly, have marginalized him, and um, those of us who know him and love him uh, and have uh, have been, I think, at times outraged by, by that, but this is the church, and he suffered uh, with great humility and uh, great trust and confidence in the Spirit, and uh, it's made us love him, I think, all the more. I think even more than those glory years, you know, seeing him, yeah. a man who suffered uh, for the church, but but really within the church, um, I don't know, I think that is a final testament to him, and one of the reasons why as he approaches 75 uh, and and will retire there shortly after, uh, we, we were just so filled with gratitude as his sons for that. So Even that reality that life of accepting suffering and um, that the perseverance and that uh, nobility to keep living this life of integrity and keep giving the same leadership to the church. Um, mm-hmm. it, it speaks to the, the, the paradox of the, of the cross, that there is fruit born in ways that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we kind of expect, people will tell you, oh, I hope you're a bishop someday. I hope you're a monsignor. I hope you're a, you should be pope or whatever. And it's like, that's not exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for a fruitful life. Mm-hmm. And that happens differently than in the world. And um, that, uh, that gives me a lot of courage as a priest, to, to just live in the everyday, live with the graces, live with the suffering. Oh. Amen. Final comments before we go to shout-outs? Oh, man. There's so much to share. There's lots like of stories too. There's lots of stories. What I would, what I would, the only hour. thing I would say is just write, write to him uh, if he's changed your life, uh, whether in Denver, through Focus, through Endow, through um, uh, I don't know Christ in the City, through this podcast. Like there's through the, the priests that you know attended our seminary. Um, he needs to know in his final years. Uh, that the suffering has borne fruit, 
And uh, I know that he's going to be ticked off because he's like, yeah. I can't answer any more emails. <laughs> um, but um, but just say, hey, no response necessary. I want you to know this. And Father Nathan sent me. And he can send his response to me. In Germany, they have a tradition called the Pfeffschrift for the an anniversary where it's a collection of writings. Uh, and this is kind of our Pfeffschrift for Shapu. Uh, and we hope that you can add to that by writing him. Even if you've never met him or heard of him, uh, write him and... Um, because if, if we've affected anything in your life, if God has worked through this podcast, it's in many ways because of his fatherhood. So, yeah, so we thank him for that. Amen. Final shout out, anybody? Anything? Shout outs in general? Yeah. All the listeners. Yeah. All the benefactors. All right. Yeah. Yeah, 400. I want to shout out everybody who's listened to all 400. Yes. <laughs> uh, these dedicated <laughs> wild fans yeah. um, who pray for us too. And I thank you for all those prayers and ask for more. Yeah, those those of you who uh, who write us to and let us know what an impact we've been on your lives. It is it is really good to get those letters and to uh, try to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing because this isn't really that much work for us. I mean, it's really so simple. We're just trying to live our priesthood out in a way that's kind of obvious, our community out in a way that's obvious, and the Holy Spirit is doing so much. So, um, yeah, thank you for everybody who's listened, of course. Yeah, and all for of those of you who donated Beaver Nuggets, if goal will average 10 per podcast, <laughs> that's right. he's also in the thousands of Beaver Nuggets consumed. So Worth it. All right, what are you doing? You got a shirt there? You want no, to say I'm, anything? Just, I'm just looking to see at all the stuff that people send us. <laughs> all right, man. We better wrap this up, boys. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to um, all the people who work on our side of the podcast uh, to make it possible. Um, yeah. If we got anything wrong, uh, make it right, Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord. Later. Amen. Amen. Amen.